0: Well, good morning, church. Today we're starting a message series, a three-part message series. It will be the last message series I ever do here. So listen up, okay? (laughs) And it is called Things That Matter. Because I have now been here 13 years. That is the longest I've ever been anywhere, just so you know. And in those 13 years, I have said a lot of stuff. Other people have said a lot of stuff. But I've probably said more than anybody. And I'm sure a lot of it was very forgettable. Um, But maybe there's some things that you've remembered. What I want to ensure before I leave Gateway is that the things that you remember are the things that matter and not the things that don't matter so much. And so there are some things that are really important. They matter because they are the foundation upon which we build everything else. And so the the things that we are building as we are building our life, as we are building our faith, as we are building our relationship with God, as we are building our involvement in the church community… If we are building on a faulty foundation, everything that we are building will collapse and won't last. Therefore, the most important thing, things are the foundational things. And so, if you've been, maybe you've been coming to Gateway for 13 months, or maybe you've been coming for 13 years, um, I want you to remember the most important things. And so, that's what we're going to look at today, next week, the following week is Vision Sunday, and then the week after that, we will do part three. Now, on Sundays um, here at Gateway, we try to make our Sunday messages as applicable to everyday life as possible. Yes, they're Bible teachings. Yes, we're basing it all on Scripture. Uh, Yes, we're praying and we're seeking God's will as to what needs to be taught and said and shared. But we want it to be something that you can apply to your life. That's called life application teaching. But uh, once a year, me personally, once a year, I try to make sure that I do something that's a little bit more theological. We do more theological stuff at the academy. But on a Sunday, uh, uh, once a year, we try to do a series that's a bit more theological. So, like, I think it was last year we did one on the kingdom of God. And the year before that, we did Simply Jesus, and we looked at different biblical topics. So this is going to be a little bit theological. I have an awful lot of material to get through. I don't have time to throw in a few puppy dog stories and things like that to hold your attention. So you're going to have to just fasten your seatbelts and uh, get your phone out and take screenshots of things that go up on the screen and so on. And in fact, today's message has two parts. The first part is who God is. And if you come to the academy last semester, you will recognize some of the things that I say in the first part, although we did it in much more in-depth, and it's still available online. You can sign up to the academy for that who God is, and then the second part is I want to talk about what God's Word is. But first of all, I want to clear up or point out, first first of all, I want to point out the fact that very often we have misconceptions about God. And it tends to be to do with the image of God that we have in our mind. We have a particular image of God in our mind, and that image of God is maybe not the same as what the Bible describes God to be like, and therefore uh, we can become frustrated in our relationship with God and in our faith because we see God as much different, quite often much smaller, than He really is. So I want to start with an illustration. It's an illustration that I have done twice before here over the years, but it's the best one I've got for this, so we're doing it again. So I have three volunteers. Can I ask my three volunteers to come up just now, and can you just go there and collect your chairs and bring them out? Let's welcome the volunteers. So I find that very often we have some misconceptions about God. So the little chair goes here. You're next to him. And you're next to him. We've got a little guy. A middle-sized guy and a big guy. He's too small, he's too big, and he's just right. (laughs) If you remember Goldilocks. So this is like Goldilocks, but instead of three beds, it's three chairs. Now, very often we have an image of God as if God is a human, but a little bit better than a human. He's maybe a little bit bigger. He's a little bit stronger. He's a little bit wiser. He's a little bit kinder. But we kind of think of God as being like a human. In fact, if you've ever uh, seen those little comic book tracts that you get sometimes, have you ever seen those little Christian comic books that you get? Usually, God is depicted as a giant human with no facial features, sitting on a big chair. So that's why I've got him, if we could just wipe his facial features out. That's how God, now I'm not criticizing that, although that's not what God is like. The Bible says God is not a man, okay? Nor the son of a man. So God is not a human. God existed before humans existed. Now, I'm not really criticizing that drawing, because if somebody asked me to draw God, I don't really know how I would do it. Um, An answer I really like was, years ago, I saw an interview, somebody was interviewing Paul McCartney from the Beatles, and they said, we've got a rapid-fire quest, I'm going to say words, and I want you to say the first thing that comes into your head. And it was, you know, know, I don't know... Um, a ship, and he had to, you know, a sailor or something like that. And then the guy said to Paul McCartney, God, and he said, a big, happy, smiling face. I thought that was interesting that his first image of God was not a big, angry, judgmental face, but a big, happy, smiling face. But it did show me that he had an image of God in his mind. He didn't even take time to think about it Everyone, even non-believers, have an image of God in their mind, and very often it's faulty. And very often, this is what we think God is like. We think this is a human. A human is a little small creature, okay, that has been created by God. And then we think, well, God has also created angels, and angels seem to have powers that humans don't have, you know they can appear and disappear. They can strike you blind and dumb. If you say dumb things, they make you dumb. And so, there's all kinds. And and every time someone sees an angel, the first thing the angel has to say to them is, fear not, because the human fears the moment they see an angel. So, it would be like this guy sitting in his room, reading a book, and all of a sudden, kaboom, this guy's standing there fear not, right? And then we think that God is a little bit bigger, a little bit higher up because He has more authority, a little bit stronger than an angel who's a little bit bigger and a little bit higher up because they're up in heaven and than a human. And so we tend to imagine God, well, first of all, we imagine angels as being humans with extra powers, And then we imagine God as being like an angel, but with extra powers. You know, this is a human being, this is a angelic being, and this is a divine being. That's the way we think of it, as if there is a chain of beings starting at the biggest being and going down. I suppose we could have a dog, a mouse… An ant, an, an amoeba, a COVID-19 virus. <laughs> we could have a whole chain of beings. Now, it is true that humans are created beings, and it's true that angels are created beings, but God is not a being. God is not a being. God existed before any beings existed. God is the ground of all being. Every being that has life gains its life from God. He is the fountainhead of creation. He is the creator, not part of the creation. He is not. God is not a creature. He is not created, okay? But when we have this image of God like this, it can affect our relationship with God. First of all, if you have that image, it affects the way you pray. You think that God is sitting high up in heaven on a throne and that you are a human being. I'm sure the cameras are finding it difficult to follow me, but I'll come back. You're a human being away down here on earth and if you're going to pray to God, you have to do two things. You have to get your prayers all the way up there. And that's going to take a lot of faith. And very often we imagine faith to be like willpower. Mm, yeah, I'm going to get that prayer all the way up there to God. Secondly, because we think he's like a human being, we think we have to talk him into things. Right? Maybe I could convince God that this is a good idea. Right? And so our prayer life is very often like this. As if we're trying to communicate to God, and we're saying, God, can you hear me? I'm not getting anything back yet. Are you there, Lord? Could you answer my prayers? So, that is kind of what we imagine prayer to be like. We are trying to fire our prayers through a big anti-aircraft weapon (laughs) all the way up to God, and we're going to have to word them in a way that God understands. But that is not what God is like. God is not… Yes, He is up in heaven… But He's not just up in heaven. He is present everywhere. When I pray, God is right with me. He is right beside me. And His presence fills all things. So this might be correct, and this might be correct, but this is not correct. What would be correct would be to imagine God, instead of a person sitting on a chair here, To think of all of the air that fills this stage area. God is present everywhere. God is all around the angels and all around the people. And as they breathe in, the air is also within them. God is the presence that is everywhere that gives life to created beings. God's not just a super duper creator, He's not Superman, He's not a superhero. The other thing about a relationship with God like this is when we think of God as just a human being that we can talk into things, we can get upset with him when we can't talk him into things. Also, we can think, oh, God, it's the 21st century, can you not update yourself or something like that? You know, God has watched every century come and go, and God never changes. And so we need a new image of God. So thank you to my volunteers. You can take your chairs away. So here we go. We're going to go through these things fast. First of all, who is God? And secondly, what is God's word? So, first of all, who is God? Here's three things that God is God is the creator. Everything that is in existence, God created it. Everything in this world, Everything in our solar system, in our galaxy, in the universe, beyond the universe, however many dimensions there are that we don't know about or other worlds that God may have created that we don't know, anything that exists was created by God. In fact, you yourself were created by God. Yes, He had the help of your mommy and daddy. But if God had not knitted you together in your mother's womb and breathed life into you, nothing would have happened, regardless of what your mommy and daddy were doing. Nothing would have happened. God created you as well, He is the creator. The second thing is, God is one. There is only one God. There are not lots of gods. And you know that some religions have lots of gods or a number of gods, and you will notice that the gods are all like the thing that I just said is wrong. They're all like humans, but super-duper humans, you know? And And the gods fight with each other and things like that, and they've got bad tempers and everything else. You know, the Bible mocks that image of God. There was a time when the prophets of Baal were trying to pray to their false god, Baal. And Elijah, the prophet, he mocked them and he said, what's happening? Why isn't he answering you? I mean, you're doing everything to get his attention. Maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself, Elijah says to them. Why does he say that? He's saying..." Your God is just like a human. This image that you've got of a God is just like a human that needs to go and have a nap. and needs to go to the bathroom occasionally. That's not who God is. God, there is one God who fills all things and is Himself the ground of all being. Now, although there's only one God, God is a trinity as well. God is Father, Son, Son, And Holy Spirit. When we talk about God being our Father, that that is true. God is our Father. When we talk about feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit touching our lives, that is true. The Holy Spirit is God. When we say that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, you see, God is invisible. The Bible says God is invisible. That's why you can't draw a picture of him. But Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, and that is true as well. But yet there's only one God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, there's lots of analogies that you can use to describe that, but none of them are perfect because, like, when we... When we leave our bodies and we go to to be in heaven and we see Jesus face to face, like our minds are going to be blown. There are concepts that we cannot even hold in our mind in this world, okay? So these are just analogies. The Bible says you are created in the image and likeness of God, and there's only one of you. Yet, you are spirit, soul, and body, according to the Bible. You are spirit. There is the psychological part of you, the psyche, the mind or the soul. And then there's your body, soma in Greek, the somatic part of you, the, the, your earth suit that you live in that gets you around this planet, okay? You are body, soul, and spirit. So you're created in the image of God, and you are a triune being. Now, that's not a perfect analogy, but it's an analogy. Um, Another analogy, which again is not perfect, is to say, God the Father is like the sun in the sky. The rays of light that come from the sun are Jesus, the light of the world. That's what we see of God. And the warmth that we feel on our skin is like feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's an analogy. It's not perfect. Another one that people sometimes use is, imagine I had a stove here, and I put a pot on it, and then I got a big block of ice, and I put the ice on it, and I turned the stove on. The ice would begin to melt, and as it melted, some of it would evaporate, and now we would have ice, because it's, it's not fully melted, we've got ice, and that's solid water, And then we've got water, that's liquid water. And then we've got steam, that's gaseous water. And all three is one and the same water. Ice, liquid, gas, okay? And so again, that's not perfect because eventually the whole block would melt and everything else. But these are just analogies to let you know that it is possible for there only to be one God. And yet God to express himself in a plurality of ways, in this case, in three ways, in a triune way, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who God is. Okay, next one, what is God like? If that's who He is, He's a creator, but you could be a grumpy creator or you could be a kind creator. What kind of uh, of creator is He? What kind of God is He? What's He like? Well, first of all, God is love, the Bible says. God is love, and those who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And so, God is a loving God. Love emanates from Him. Kindness, mercy, grace, forgiveness. He is long-suffering with us. Okay? So, God is love, and we need to get that aspect of His mind. Now, there are other attributes of God as well. And also, God's love is maybe not the same as our Western secular definition of love. Because today, people say, if you really loved me, you would would say that everything that I think and everything I do is right. And if you say that I think something wrong or I'm doing something wrong, you're a hater. No, that's not what love is. That's not what love is. When I was a kid, My parents told me not to stick my fingers into electric power sockets. In the UK, our power sockets are larger than they are here. You couldn't get your finger in them here. But boy, you can get your finger in them there. I speak from experience. I did it. I blew myself across the room, landed on my back on my bed started crying, and my mother's like, well, what did you do something stupid like that for? I didn't say to her, if you really loved me, you would affirm my right to stick fingers into electric power sockets. The reason she didn't want me doing it was because she loved me, okay? So God loves us with an everlasting love. He does get angry with us occasionally, but the Bible says his anger lasts for a moment, but his love endures forever. Okay, so he loves us. But it's not a wishy-washy love. It's a genuine concern for our well-being. Not always for what we want, but for what's best and right. And then God is good. God is a good God. God. He's a good, good father. God is good to all, the Bible says. He's not just good to his children. He's good to everybody, even those who rebel against him. You know, God makes the sun shine on both the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends rainfall for both the good and the bad. God is good to all. And so he's a good God. And then thirdly, God is holy. What does that even mean, holy? We think holy means, you know, it's like put your hands together and walk into a building and be very quiet. It's holy in here. Holy means to be different from everything else, to be set apart from everything else. Um, It means to be morally perfect in every way. And so God is holy. God is different. Although He is He fills all things, He's also set apart and different from everything else. He alone is morally perfect. You know, I, I sometimes think it's funny when I hear atheists speak. I just told you about Paul McCartney. There was another a celebrity I heard once, and he was being interviewed, and he claims he's an atheist, and someone, the interviewer said, well, if God is real, what are you going to do when you die and you see God? Well, I'm just going to give him a piece of my mind, and I'm going to tell him, how dare you create a world with disease in it, and for animals eat other animals, and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, no, you're not, dude. No, you're not. When you stand before the holy creator of everything and behold his moral perfection and realize what a filthy, wretched sinner you are compared to him, you will fall on your knees and cry for mercy. That's what you will do, buddy. You won't give God a piece of your mind you, you, with all of your imperfections and your sins and your selfishness and your narcissism and everything else, is never going to give a piece of your mind to the morally perfect, good, loving creator of all things. God is a mighty God, people. God loves you. He's your Father. You are safe in His hands. But he's not to be messed with. He is above all else. Let's look at the next one. What are God's attributes? Well, these are all the omnis. All the omnis. God is omnipresent. His presence is everywhere. He's not just present one place. He's present everywhere. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He could do anything. It doesn't mean he will do anything, but he, could, he has the power to do anything. I heard somebody uh, recently, I was watching a video the other day, and it was a psychologist who was talking, and they were talking about moral goodness, moral goodness. And they said, if somebody is incapable of hurting you, that doesn't mean they're morally good, because you don't know what they would do if they were capable of hurting you. If they are incapable of hurting you, that doesn't mean they're morally good. If someone is fully capable of hurting you, but instead of hurting you, gives compassion to you, that person's morally good. They could have chosen something else, but they didn't, right? God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He could squash you out if he wanted to, but he won't because he is also morally perfect, okay? But he is almighty. He's omnipotent. And then he's omniscient. He knows all things. God knows everything that you have done and that you will do. God knows What you are looking at on the computer, even with your incognito tab open. (laughs) He knows it, and He's going to play it all back to you one day. God knows every thought you think and every word you say, He knows everything. He knows why that prayer wasn't answered, because it wouldn't be good for you if it was. God knows everything. God is omniscient. Look at, we're going to, yeah, go go to that one. We're going to read this psalm. It's long, but you're going to see all of these attributes of God. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it. Lord, um, you go before me and follow me. See how God can do two things at the same time? He can go before you and follow you because he's everywhere present. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, You are there if I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest oceans. Even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Next one. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Do you know that even when it's nighttime and all the lights are switched off, there are still light particles everywhere in the room, but our eyes are not designed to pick them up? But God can. Even the darkness is light to Him. Okay. "'The night shines as bright as the day. "'Darkness and light are the same to you. "'You made all the delicate inner parts of my body "'and knit me together in my mother's womb. "'Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex.'" Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single one had passed. Like, this is a mighty God, an awesome God, a God that we cannot even comprehend. Let's read on. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake up, you're still with me, O God. If only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who despise you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. We don't like verses like that in the Bible, do we? Well, I don't like that. I liked all the other verses about how his hand of blessing was upon me. Listen. Do do you not think that when God sees some nasty people, human trafficking, little children, He despises what He sees? And shouldn't we despise that too? If God is morally good, then anything that is not morally good is evil and therefore should be uh, hated. And He says, search me, O oh God, and know my heart, because I don't want to be like one of these, you know, um, I hate all these things that are happening against you and the people that are rebelling against you, but I don't want to rebel against you either, so search my heart, O oh God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life that's who god is and he reveals himself to us he has revealed himself to us so we're not left in ignorance how does god reveal himself to us he reveals himself to us in creation in scripture and in jesus all you have to do take a drive to the rockies climb a mountain look at the view Look at the, the ecosystem with the way that a beaver will build a dam, and when the beaver builds a dam, the area floods, and when the area floods, wildlife comes from everywhere, and a whole ecosystem develops. And tell me all of that just happened because a few billion years ago, nothing exploded, and then everything came out of it. No. God has revealed, just like a work of art reveals the artist, creation reveals God. Also, Scripture reveals God. Everything we just read there was from Psalm 139, which is part of Scripture. It reveals to us, God inspired people to write things down so that we would have a record of who God is, what God is like, what He has done for us, and what He calls us to do in response. All of that is recorded in Scripture. And then, of course, God is revealed in Jesus. He came down amongst us. He became one of us. He revealed Himself to us in Jesus. And we could call all of that God revealing Himself to us. We could call all of that God's message to humanity or God's Word. So, what is God's Word? God's Word is God's message to humanity. We see it in Jesus. Jesus came and lived among us. He was God's message to humanity in human form. He is the living Word of God. And then Scripture is the written Word of God, where we can read it or listen to somebody reading it to us, And concept can be built upon concept until eventually the wrong image of God we have in our mind changes to the right image of God. And that helps us understand Him and relate to Him better. And by the way, God and His Word are one. God, I know, I'm sure you know people who, if they give you their word on something, you know you can't trust their word. But they're still a very nice person. You still like them as a friend or something. You just can't trust take them at their word. Well, God's not like that. God and His word are one. And we're just gonna look at that as for a moment or two. Let's go to Romans, first of all. And this tells us that God is revealed in creation. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made they can clearly see his invisible qualities there's another place in the Bible that it says God is invisible they see his invisible qualities in what he has made his eternal power and divine nature so they have no excuse for not knowing God yes they knew God But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas. The world that lives without God create their own philosophies, their own ideas of God, their own ideas of society, and sooner or later it becomes obvious that they don't know what they're talking about. They're up. Just listen to a politician giving a speech and then find a speech he gave 12 months ago and you'll realize the man is utterly confused. He doesn't know what he thinks. He's saying whatever will get him votes so on that day, right? People don't have standards. They don't have guidelines because they don't know who God is and what he has made. So creation, next one. God is also revealed in Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word So the Word became human and made His home among us. He He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus is the Word of God who always existed but became human 2,000 years. God's word and reveal God. Look at this. Now these Jews were noble, for they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Timothy, 2 Timothy says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for written in the Scriptures, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to pray in just a moment, but I want you to know that following God and following God's Word are one and the same thing. It's possible to follow the Scriptures, and or you know, like a, a religion and not have a relationship with God. It's also possible to have a relationship with God and not know the Bible well, but in either case, we're going to become confused. And, and if we go down the path of confusion long enough, it says we become utter fools. But if we can build a relationship with the living God and feed our souls with the Word of God, then our relationship will blossom as our concept of God and humanity and salvation and life and the kingdom of God and heaven and earth and everything else. becomes more and more biblical, we become more and more well-rounded in our understanding of God. Look at this closing verse. It's from Psalms again. And it says this, How sweet your words taste to me they are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Scriptures are a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. They will show you where to go. They will. God will guide you through His Word. I want to know what that means. You know that in those days they didn't flick on the electric light. They had oil lamps. They had. They filled them with oil, and they had oil lamps. Well, do you know they had things like this? I know that looks like a rhinoceros's horn or something, but that is called a tow lamp. They wore sandals. And you got a little toe lamp, and you put oil on it, and you stuck it on your big toe and lit it. And at night, because there was no street lights, and at night when you're going home, that toe lamp was a a light unto your feet and a lamp to your path. And the Bible is saying God's Word is like that toe lamp. You, You read His Word, you believe His Word, and you take a step of faith. You don't know what's up there, it's very dark. But you know right here, his word gives you light. And it gives you light to take the next step and the next step and the next step. So we're gonna pray that together. Let's stand together, Mm -hmm. church. I'm putting a prayer up on the screen. We're gonna say this prayer together. We're gonna ask God to search our hearts. We're gonna ask him to strengthen us in his word and give us the correct concept of him. And we're gonna ask him to ensure that his word lights our paths as we walk in faith through life. Are you ready, church? Let's lift our hands and let's pray together. One, two, three. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Your words are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Help me follow you and your word in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's sing to the Lord, church.